This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Decisive Battles of World History. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Good afternoon, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard with my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week we're looking at the April 27th issue, uh, which uh, leads with a review uh, by Andre Van Loon of a new book from Oxford University Press entitled Clausewitz, His Life and Work by Donald Stoker. Clausewitz, of course, is, is one of those figures in history who um, we know the name and um, many will know the famous quote of Clausewitz is that uh, um, war is uh, the continuation of politics by other means. Um, But this is a book that um, actually tells you a little bit more about Clausewitz and um, his life and what he did other than write his famous um, treatise on war. Um, he was, of course, a German, um, well, Prussian uh, uh, veteran of the Napoleonic Wars and had a, a, a rather interesting, uh, slightly checkered career um, as an officer and also as a uh, what we might call a military philosopher. Um, and uh, the Clausewitz himself, of course, is one of those few people on the planet Earth who can write about um, the subject of, of military tactics and strategy in, a, in an accessible and indeed interesting, even at times fascinating manner. And our writer, Andre Van Loon, uh, sums up the book nicely and really gives us some insights into what made uh, Clausewitz tick. That is followed by a piece by uh, Frank Freeman, um, on a book, a new book from John Searle, uh, the American philosopher at, uh, at the University of California at Berkeley, entitled Seeing Things as They Are, A Theory of Perception. And uh, um, Searle is, is one of those um, names in modern philosophy who is, as is often the case, um, a little better known for being well-known than for what he did specifically. But um, Freeman lays out very uh, succinctly and and in a very interesting fashion exactly what makes Searle, what makes him tick as a philosopher, what distinguishes him from the classic philosophers who he, uh, or I should say great philosophers, who he uh, tends to, from whom he tends to dissent, and what makes him worth reading? I would I would quote this sentence: Searle is a proponent of what he calls direct realism. It is called realism because it says we do have perceptual access to the real world, and direct because it says that we do not first have to perceive something else 
by a way of which we perceive the real world. Now, if you're the kind of person um, who likes to spend um, 15 to 20 seconds reflecting on exactly what that sentence means and then dive in deeper, then Searle is the philosopher of you, for you, and Frank Freeman uh, makes him entirely comprehensible and interesting. Um, very nice piece. That is followed by an uh, essay by Robert Wargus about a new um, book entitled Phantom Terror. <clears throat> Excuse me. Political Paranoia and the Creation of the Modern State, 1789 to 1848. Now, I know that sounds like a, 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 a arcane historical topic, but in fact, it's, it's, it's a, a very interesting and important one because it uses the, the French Revolution, uh, which of course began in 1789, was a much more uh, disruptive and I might say traumatic event in the history of Europe than we tend to appreciate today. We, I always make the argument that the First World War, um, uh, the, the trauma and, and aftershocks of the, of the First World War are much more profound and influential uh, in our time than we, particularly here in America, tend to appreciate. Well, if you go back a century, you can say the same thing about the French Revolution, which, of course, lasted for several years and then uh, uh, ended up bequeathing Napoleon to France, who, of course, um, made life uh, complicated, shall we say, for the rest of the balance of Europe, as far east as Russia and as far west as, as uh, well, to America, really, um, until 1815. So it was a quarter century of, of, of drama uh, centering in France, from which Europeans and especially European statesmen and monarchs never fully recovered and in fact a lot of the politics of the 19th century was very much a reaction if not in many cases an overreaction to the to the ramifications of the French Revolution and the threat of its recurrence which of course happened on several occasions in in Germany in 1848 in Hungary and Italy and other places and of course um, societies uh, European societies reacted to these events uh, in in ways different ways depending on which country you're talking about and what kind of a political system they enjoyed at the time so it's a it's a fascinating um, treatise a fascinating book a great essay by Wargus and it has what, what's interesting to me is it has some parallels nothing exact but there are certain aspects of this um, reaction to, to terrorism um, that uh, echoes in our own time. Um, I'm not saying we necessarily draw any lessons from it, but it's interesting to read about it, and as I say, Wargus um, makes it all very interesting. That is followed by a piece by Erwin Stelzer, who is one of our resident economists here at the Weekly Standard, and Erwin is looking at a, a, a book entitled Implementing a U.S. Carbon Tax, Challenges and Debates, which is a series of, of essays on, on the pros and cons of um, carbon taxes. And in this era of uh, uh, debate about change, global warming, carbon footprints, green economies, green technology, so on and so forth, um, it's interesting how all this um, uh, fits into our economic systems in the world. And 
Irwin lays out the arguments um, uh, uh, surrounding uh, raising carbon taxes and making the uh, consumption of energy and the expulsion of of carbon into the atmosphere, um, putting sort of putting a price tag on it, both um, financially, uh, economically, and culturally. Um, interesting piece. Irwin has the gift, I should say, rare among economic writers of making the dismal science um, actually quite interesting to the to the lay reader, such as me, for example. That is followed by a wonderful essay by Anthony Paletta um, about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, who is, of course, uh, the author of the Sherlock Holmes uh, uh, detective stories. Um, the book is entitled Conan Doyle, Writing, Profession, and Practice by Douglas Kerr. It's from Oxford University Press. Doyle, like many writers um, who are vastly famous for one character, namely Sherlock Holmes, of course, was haunted. Um, I use that word uh, uh, pointedly, by the way, since he was a famous believer in in um, uh, the spectral world and, and so on, and seances and whatnot. But Doyle was haunted by the fact that he was, uh, in fact, a serious writer, a serious writer of fiction, um, whose writings, uh, other than Sherlock Holmes, are far less known and far less uh, appreciated and um, didn't stop him from uh, continuing to write them. But it puts the sort of the literary life, such as he lived it, in a certain kind of interesting perspective. And, and I, as I have, I confess, said on a few times in these podcasts, I am myself not a great admirer of, of murder mysteries and mystery writing, Generally, but even I can acknowledge that the Sherlock Holmes stories are a delight to read, and it's interesting to find out what else Doyle wrote about in his his long and and very active and very prolific and very public career. Uh, John Podhoritz's uh, movie review this week is of um, a movie entitled. Ex Machina, which is in the great tradition of uh, men falling in love with female robots, and why that's probably not a good idea. John has a lot of very amusing and very trenchant observations on the robot genre in uh, global cinema, which I know you'll enjoy reading. Thank you so much for uh, bearing with me for these few minutes. I have enjoyed talking about the books and arts section with you, and I very much look forward to describing next week's issue with you as well. Talk to you then.